Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners, no matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. You're listening to part two of a very special interview with Jim Satilli right here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. We pick up right now where we left off last week. You know, in that instance or the, the, that you just described... Yeah. I would have to say, as a reasonable person, that you instigated it by calling out to her in the first place. Yeah, I was annoyed that she was just—it wasn't something she did once. It was constantly. Well, you know, I mean, just throwing the paper out the window, and it's littering the road. And, uh, you know, I think I had a right to tell her, you know, who's going to pick up your junk. But— course she was very wrong in getting out i mean there was no reason to have a tire iron you know apparently this is her standard procedure when she gets into a road rage problem but i i retreated i mean i i understand like i said that um, this could be a problem a lot of people you know they they don't want to retreat they don't back down and that, that that offers you a bad outcome in the most most cases so the the really the rule there is is that if you can not in your home we're talking outside the home but if you're outside your home and you can reasonably retreat without getting without escalation without getting involved in any kind of force really if you can just sort of say okay I'm out of here leave me alone I'm leaving that is what you're required to do is it not yes sir and and you know the the courts and the district attorneys and the juries like to see that you made an effort to retreat if you're on the street. Now, I don't tell people that if someone's violently, let's say an armed robber comes up to you. I mean, it's impractical probably for you to retreat. And um, where are you going to hide? You know, this guy wants your money. He's got a gun. Uh, There's really no requirement that you have to run away. You know, you could get shot. You know, this guy's got a gun on you. But um, if it is one of these incidents where you can walk away from it, you should. 
Well, again, and, and to use the example you gave me, that's if you, you called out to her, she got out and was aggressive. If you then retreated and she continued to come after you, there'd be a point when your retreat was kind of meaningless in the face of her continued aggression. You were trying to disengage, trying to retreat. She refused to allow you to do that. And if she were coming at you personally, not your car, because I know you, you cannot shoot her for, try, for damaging your car. Yeah. But if she were actually coming after you and threatening to hit you with the tire iron after you were busy backing away, yeah. running away and whatever. Well, then you, your rights restored that you could use deadly physical force. Uh, in my particular case, uh, you know, I, I, you know, was teaching boxing every Monday night. I mean, I, I know how to defend myself. And I don't, you know, I don't think she had the physical ability, if I didn't want it, to get at me. I wouldn't use deadly physical force if I could avoid it. It's just a mess. It's not, a, it's not only the fact that, you know, you may be charged with a criminal case. There's extreme civil liability here, you know. If, if I do serious harm to her, I'm going to wind up in court in a civil case. So I'm, I'm always thinking about the two things, the criminal and the civil, which in any shooting is viable. It's, it's not just, will I be charged criminally? You know, are we going to have a problem with this? Is there going to be lawyers involved, you know? You know, when you're talking about this whole situation outside your home, and we're going to get to the home later because that's really a separate issue. Yes. But one of the most dangerous things you can do using – uh, deadly force is to come to the aid of a third party. Is that not true? Well, you can come to the aid of a third party if if the same facts and circumstances indicate there's deadly physical force being used. Let's say you walk by an alley and, and you see a guy with a knife to this woman's throat and he's going through her purse. You could step in. You could use deadly physical force to prevent him from using deadly force on her. Now, the problem with this is that there's always a possibility you'll step into an issue, which is a family dispute. And being a cop on the street, I can tell you firsthand, every time you step into a family dispute, you're the bad guy. Nobody, you know, everybody's uh, throwing stuff at you all of a sudden. So... You, 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 you have to be astute as to clarify the situation, and you don't want to overreact. But if I could prevent someone else from getting seriously hurt or killed, I would use deadly physical force to do that. Um, but again, uh, I have a lot of experience in these things. You know, I was teaching the use of force in 1972 in the New York Police Academy when I was doing, I was a guest instructor there, so... I've been through a lot of incidents, and I understand. A lot of people don't have that kind of experience, so they have to use caution before they get involved in a third-party rescue. I kind of, from what I gather, that third-party issue, you can run into an awful lot of difficulty. Uh, you really don't, if you come across a situation like that, you really don't know what started it, what was going on before. Uh, I have heard that that is something that you should really try to avoid if you, if at all possible. Well, I think it depends on how much experience you have and whether the, the white hats and the black hats are very clear. 
the biggest problem that policemen have when they go into an incident is they don't know who the good guys are and they don't know who the bad guys are. That's the big problem. And the same applies to you as a citizen on the street. You see an incident going on and, and you're tempted to step in, but you don't really have the background to know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. You might see somebody reacting to something that happened to them minutes ago when you weren't there. So you're right. You have to be cautious about getting involved in a third-party situation. And it has to be very clear that you're really saving somebody from being killed or seriously damaged. We have to take a quick commercial break here on Freedom Forum Radio. More with Jim Satilli right after this. Let me ask you another thing, and we'll continue again in public situations. Suppose you are in, and there's been a lot of publicity about people coming into, for instance, auditoriums, movie theaters, and the like, uh, and creating, you know, shooting and stuff like that. There have been shootings in Colorado and around the country. Uh, I know that in North Carolina, the legislature last year enacted the legislation that allows people to carry in uh, auditoriums, movies, concerts, and things of that nature, as long as it's not posted as being a gun-free zone. So let's say that you're in a movie theater, uh, you are armed with, with, you are have a valid concealed carry permit, and you are armed, and you have the right to be there because there's no sign that says you can't. Yes. And someone comes in and commences to create, to start shooting at the audience. And you stand up and defend the audience. It's, it would be pretty easy to defend your doing that. How, how do you differentiate yourself from the shooter when the police arrive? Well, this is a clear-cut situation where people are getting shot. And with my experience, I would step in because I'm, I'm, I'm able to probably put take this guy out, okay? Prior to last year, there was a law that you couldn't carry any place that charged an admission. Therefore, you couldn't carry in the theater or at a performance or at a sporting event. So now, you're right, they changed the law, which is good, so that you, you can go in as long as there's no sign prohibiting firearms. And, you know... Prior to last year, you would have to wait your turn to be shot. You know, this this Colorado case with this Haynes kid is finally going to trial now. It's currently, you know, in trial this week. So we'll have to see what the outcome is. And he's claiming a, a mental disability. He says he was crazy when he did it. But we have to see what the what the jury thinks about that. So, but nevertheless, I mean, now... Having the ability to be armed in a theater, for instance, does give you the ability to prevent atrocities like that from happening. And if they come in through the back door and raise a gun and start yelling and attempting to start to shoot, you have the right to stand up if you're armed and shoot him first. You know, a lot of those instances, a lot of people like that, they go into what they know is a gun-free zone because they don't expect to have anyone shoot back. The minute that you shoot back at them, you, their plan is disrupted 
most of those people at that point are going to fold, wouldn't you think? Yeah, but you know, you know, the you're dealing with psychos. You're not dealing with criminals. They're psychos, and they they uh, they do pick places like the VA or a or a hospital or a school where they know nobody's going to shoot back. And um, it's really unfortunate that that that's where these things happen. But um, it's not unfortunate. And I, I will take that. I will take that word from you because when you have a gun-free zone, that's an invitation for shooting. Because criminals and crazy people don't obey the law to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. You're right on when when you say that. You know, I wrote some uh, newspaper articles about uh, different shootings. You know, in response, and and that's exactly my opinion. So. More efforts being made to to make these places uh, uh, more accessible to people who carry. The people who have permits are really in the high 10 percentile of people who are responsible in society. Uh, I find that they're very responsible. You know, they, they're not looking to uh, get involved in, in other situations. They're just looking for their own personal family protection. They want to travel with a degree of comfort that they're not going to be invaded, you know. And 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 I I think highly of the people. I've only in I've I have had over five hundred students in the last five years, and I've only ever turned two people down because I thought they were not right, and it didn't go well for me. There were retaliations. But I felt obligated. And that's not a position that I'm supposed to be in where I have to evaluate whether they get a permit. That's something the sheriff does. But these mental situations are not well documented, unfortunately. People, there's a lot of laws that protect people's right to privacy where things like this are never revealed. So that when a sheriff investigates someone, he really doesn't know that this person is nuts. There's no unless they were in a institution for a psychological problem, mentally ill, certified mentally ill. The sheriff doesn't know, and very often the permits get issued to people who are troubled. And uh, I'm always cautious about someone who wants to get a permit because they're having a problem with their neighbor, because their neighbor's dog is barking at night, waking them up. You know this this. This could promulgate a bad incident, you know. But I had I had uh, two people. Um, one of them I I got was a, uh, a computer consultant and a, a woman. And in my dealings with her, I discovered that she's not well. Something wrong here, you know. So I didn't want to. I, I I wouldn't. I didn't. I asked her not to come to my class. I don't want to issue her a certificate to get a pistol permit. But that's a rarity. Uh, well, I would certainly concur that when you have taken the class and you get your certificate and you take it to the sheriff, you are fingerprinted, there's a background check, and the sheriff has to agree to give you the permit. So you have to pass some reasonably high standards in order to actually get the concealed carry permit. It's not like you can just walk in yeah. off the street and say, give him a permit. 
So you know, this well, is this is there are some there's some investigation that goes on to this, and so I would concur no. that the people who do get permits have passed a fairly rigorous set of guidelines and rules and regulations in order to walk out with the permit. Well, uh, I'll say this: you know, the sheriff can only, only go so far in terms of getting official records. Juvenile records are not available to him. You know, uh, so that they 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 really may not know the person. They may not know that the person is fighting with everybody in their neighborhood, that this person is involved in road raid incidents all the time. So, but I'll tell you what: all these atrocities that have been committed with guns, none of them were people who had carry permits. People with carry permits do not hold up banks. They don't do stick-ups. They don't rob bodegas. I mean, these are legitimate people. They're good citizens. And uh, we, see, we see on a regular basis, you know, like every two weeks, there's a shooting someplace. But it's not a carry permit holder. It's, it's, it's basically someone who's mentally unstable. And they, they don't get the guns. Uh, sometimes they get them legally because there's no record of their instability. But they usually get the guns from somebody they know. Well, that certainly was the case in, in the Colorado shootings, for instance, where he got them from uh, his mother, did he not? Or, some, well, or they were in the house. In, in, in the school shooting, you know, this young man that was trained in firearms by his mother, he took her firearms. You know, she gave him access, so... That was problematic. That's what was unusual because apparently she didn't see any instability in him or recognize the extent of it. But these cases always hold true that there's somebody who's mentally challenged that has a real psychological problem. And in so many of the cases, they wind up taking their own life at the end. You know, you... We see and we read about these kind of incidents all the time in the press. But you know what you don't hear about in the press is where legally people with legal concealed carry permits and people who are legally in possession of guns protecting themselves prevent crimes, prevent violence upon themselves and their family. You don't read about that. Amazing. You know, I read this uh magazine, Concealed Carry magazine. I read all the gun publications. And there are stories that are, that are incredible about how people prevented bad things from happening because they were wrong. And now you have the police chief of Detroit, you have police officials in Chicago saying, hey, you know what? Since we gave citizens guns, there's less crime. Less people are being held up less people are are being assaulted crime went down and the nra's put out quite a few studies on the fact that in cities where they opened up to giving concealed carry permits the crime rate just dropped that concludes part two of dr dan's freedom forum with jim satilli tune in next week for part three and that concludes another episode of dr dan's freedom forum Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Call me the mischief!
Thank <laughs> you. 